What I love about being in the presence of God is it's powerful. It's powerful and we are free. Free to worship him with celebration. Free to worship him with the drums, with the instruments, with the cymbals. And yet, even if it's silent, it's powerful. To be in the presence of creator God Almighty is an incredible privilege that we must never, ever take for granted. I said to the early service this morning when I came up to prayer, Pastor Steve, we should have just been an African church today. We should have just had a whole bunch of pots of curry, beef, goat, all kinds of stuff, and we should have just never left today. We should have just hung out all day. Worship, eat, worship, sleep, you know? That's a good motto, worship, eat, worship, sleep, right? It's great. It's good to be here this morning. I want to pray for all of us this morning because today is a day to respond. Today is a day to respond. And some of you maybe have come to church this morning like every other Sunday, and you're not even aware yet that God is going to prick your heart. And so I want to pray for us as a congregation that we are open and we are willing to respond to the call of the Holy Spirit in our lives today. So that at the end of the service, when I give an opportunity for us to respond, we will be obedient to what the Spirit is talking to our hearts about this morning through His Word. So let's pray. Father, thank you for this morning. It's been awesome to be in your presence. You are a good, amazing, incredible Father. Thank you. It is a privilege, and you are the one who's made it possible for us. Now, God, as we open your Word, which is so powerful, it's life to us. God, I pray that we would be a congregation that is open to being willing to respond to you this morning. So I just ask that you will do your work in our midst this morning, and I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Are you prepared for the unexpected? Are you prepared for the unexpected? If you've hung around me long enough, you'll know that I'm not a big fan of flying. And uh, even though I don't like flying, I will say I don't mind hanging out in airports. Kind of bizarre, I know. As long as I don't have to get on the plane, I love hanging out in airports because I love people watching. I don't know if you're out there, if you can relate to that. I just love to watch people. In fact, if I can go to the mall and sit on one of those benches in one of the places where everybody's walking for an afternoon, I'm totally cool with that. Because people watching is so interesting. It's so fascinating. You try in your mind to guess what's going on in their home or in their lives and where did he come from or where did she come from. And it's just an interesting thing to do. And airports are an amazing place to do that, especially in the arrival area. If you're waiting in the arrival area, you'll see all kinds of people of all ages, cultures, and walks of life gathering in a place in anticipation for their party to come walking through those sliding doors after clearing customs and immigration. Some have flowers. Some have made signs. I remember when we went to welcome Jen back after her brother had competed in the Athens Olympics. My kids had made a sign and we had bought flowers. But everybody there is constantly looking to the information board to track the status of the flight that the plane is carrying the people that they are waiting for to arrive. So while waiting there, sometimes I pass the time by guessing I wonder who this person's waiting for. Could it be a wife? Are they waiting for a husband? 
Maybe it's uh, dad or mom. Maybe it's grandparents. And I try and figure this out in my head. And then as they come out, I, I see how correct and how wrong I was. Could it be distant relatives that have been away for a long time? Everybody is eagerly watching and anticipating, patiently waiting to be reunited with family and with friends. Now, growing up as a missionary kid, I had to travel a lot. And I have been on both sides of this scenario. I've been on the side where we are arriving as a family at Pearson Airport and we haven't seen our immediate family for four years and we're waiting for that sliding door to open and we've made it through customs and immigration and there these people are excited, watching for us to come through the door. And I've been on the other side where we've been waiting for those sliding doors to open, for the people that we're waiting for and watching in anticipation to be reunited with come through that door. And I remember one occasion in particular when my dad had come back to Canada for an extended period of time to sort out some things related to the mission uh, work that God had our family doing overseas. And my mom and dad, they were here this morning, so nothing I'm saying, just so you know, they were here. And uh, my mom and dad, my mom's a real trooper. When I look back at what she was willing to do while my dad was over here, it was during the war. We had been rocketed, we had been bombed, and my dad had to come home to Canada for an extended period of time. But we never knew that mom was afraid. She trusted in the Lord. She was a real trooper. She took care of us four kids while my dad was away. And I can remember as a young kid, I was probably around six or seven when this occasion happened. And I was counting down the sleeps in anticipation for my dad to return, to come back to us. But as I confessed this morning, at that age, I'm not going to lie, I was actually probably more excited to see what he was going to bring me from Canada. You know how it is when you're a kid. And now that I'm a dad, I never leave where I'm at without bringing gifts home for the family. And in the airport in Zimbabwe, it was a neat little airport, not very busy, and you could go up to the second floor, and outside there was this big patio, balcony. There was, you could buy snacks and drink. There was a little restaurant there. But you were outside, and you could watch as the plane started to come in the distance. And you could actually watch the plane land, because at that time in the history of that country, foreign flights from England or Europe only came twice a week. And so you could watch the plane land. It was the only plane at the airport. You could see it stop. It would taxi right in front of the patio where you were waiting. You would see the doors open. The people would come down the stairs, and they didn't have tunnels there. You'd then walk across the hot African pavement to come to the Customs and Immigration office. And so you can imagine how the excitement was building, that my father was coming home today, and I was going to get a present from Canada. And, of course, he was coming home, so that was important. And as the plane started to come in the distance, we could see it was KLM, Royal Dutch Airlines, Boeing 747, a, a small speck, and it started to come, got bigger and bigger. Eventually, we saw it touch down, go past the patio, do the U-turn and taxi back, and it stopped. And the stairs rolled up, the doors opened, and people started to file down the aircraft. One by one, the passengers started coming down. And I knew what I was waiting to see. I was waiting to see my dad's big hands. My dad has big hands. And trust me, I know they're big hands because they told me I was born with a sinful nature and with the gift of stubbornness. And so my dad had big hands. And what we were waiting for is my dad to come out the door. He would look up to the viewing platform. We were, we were waiting for this wave, and he would always give us a thumbs up. And I just realized as I was studying this morning, Jen already says, stop doing the cheesy thumbs up in the photos. It's my dad's fault. I follow his example. That's where it must come from. He would always give us a wave and a thumbs up. Whether we were playing sports or whatever, if he was leaving, you'd get the big thumbs up. And so I knew what I was waiting to see, and I waited. 
And we watched, and we waited, and we watched. The flow of people exiting the plane began to slow down. I remember my mom double-checking the telegram. Back then it was a telegram she received from him in Europe with his flight number and when he would be arriving. And she checked the telegram, and yeah, it was the right day. This was the flight he was supposed to be on. But when we saw the pilot and the co-pilot exiting the plane and the cleaning crew boarding the plane to do their work, we knew something was up. My dad did not arrive that day, and none of us were prepared for this unexpected delay. In the passage we're going to look at today, we will see that Jesus wanted his disciples to be prepared. He was soon going to be separated from them physically, and he wanted to prepare them for that. But not only that, he wanted to prepare them and all of his followers throughout all history to not be caught off guard regarding the details surrounding his return. Three times in the book of Matthew, Jesus predicts his coming death with his disciples. The first one occurs in Matthew chapter 16 and verse 21. Shortly after, he had identified himself as the Messiah, and he told his disciples, do not tell anyone that I am the Messiah. Immediately after that, the scripture says, from that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders the chief priests and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed on the third day and then be raised to life. Later in chapter 17 and chapter 20, he repeats the same thing. He again informs them of his impending death and his resurrection. And after the second occasion when he shares this with his disciples, the scriptures say that his disciples were filled with grief. Yet at the same time, he began to talk about something. He began to talk to them about a day, as he says, when the Son of Man will return, coming in his kingdom and in his Father's glory. So he's informing them of his impending death and his resurrection, and then he begins to talk to them about this day, this day when the Son of Man will return, coming in his kingdom and in his Father's glory. The disciples were troubled and not fully understanding what he was inferring to when they had a chance to sit with him privately on the Mount of Olives, they said to him, Tell us, when will this happen? And what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? Let's read Jesus' response to their question. If you open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 24, beginning in verse 36, if you don't have a Bible, the text is on the screen. This is Jesus' response to their question, Tell us. When will this happen, and what will be the signs? Jesus said to them, But about that day or hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven nor the Son, but only the Father. As it was in the days of Noah, so it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. For in the days before the flood, people were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, up to the day Noah entered the ark. And they knew nothing about what would happen until the flood came and took them all away. That is how it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. Two men will be in the field, and one will be taken, the other left. Two women will be grinding with a handmill, one will be taken, and the other left. Therefore keep watch, because you do not know on what day your Lord will come. But understand this, if the owner of the house had known at what time of night the thief was coming, 
He would have kept watch and would not have let his house be broken into. So you also must be ready. Because the Son of Man will come at an hour when you do not expect him. Are you prepared for the unexpected? There's some interesting things in verse 36 about this day, this hour when the Son of Man will return. No one knows, not even the angels in heaven, superhuman beings are even limited in their knowledge in regards to when this will happen. Some of you may be surprised to see, nor the Son, only the Father. You see, Christ in his incarnation, when he came to be man, he voluntarily gave up his divine attributes so that he could experience the human life that you and I live in its entirety. In fact, in Philippians chapter 2, verse 6 and 7, the scripture says about Jesus, who being in the very nature God did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. While he was on earth, Jesus, the Son of God, voluntarily gave up the right to use his divine attributes. He did not, however, in any sense, give up his deity. He was and is always God. Yet, while on earth, he gave up the right to use his divine attributes. It was only at the will of his father that he could use his divine attributes, if it was the father's will for him to do so. You see, Jesus came to do the will of his father in heaven, and it was not his father's will for him to know, obviously by the verse we just read, the date of his returning during his time on earth. So in light of the unknown, in light of the unexpected day or hour of his return, he exhorts his disciples to do two things. One is in verse 42, keep watch. And the second one in verse 44, be ready. Keep watch and be ready. And to drive home the importance of these two points related to how his followers are to live in light of his unexpected return, he tells them a parable. He tells them a parable about 10 virgins. If you turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 25, verse 1, I'll begin reading the parable that he shared with them. To drive home the point, keep watch, be ready. No one knows the day or the hour when I will return. At that time, the kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish and five were wise. The foolish ones took their lamps but did not take any oil with them. The wise ones, however, took oil in jars along with their lamps. The bridegroom was long time in coming, and they all became drowsy and fell asleep. At midnight, the cry rang out, Here's the bridegroom. Come out to meet him. Then all the virgins woke up and trimmed their lamps. The foolish ones said to the wise, Give us some of your oil. Our lamps are going out. No, they replied. There may not be enough for both us and you. Instead, go to those who sell oil and buy some for yourselves. But while they were on their way to buy the oil, the bridegroom arrived. The virgins who were ready went in with him to the wedding banquet, and the door was shut. Later the others also came. Lord, Lord, they said, open the door for us. But he replied, truly I tell you, I don't know you. Therefore keep watch, because you do not know the day 
or the hour. At that time, the time that he is beginning to talk to his disciples about when he will return in his kingdom and in his Father's glory, he says the kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. Throughout the New Testament, Jesus, the Son of Man, is portrayed as the bridegroom. Last Sunday night, Pastor Duane referred to the passage in Matthew chapter 9, beginning in verse 14, where John's disciples came and asked Jesus, how is it that we and the Pharisees fast often, but your disciples do not fast? Jesus answered, saying of himself, how can the guests of the bridegroom mourn while he is with them? The time will come when the bridegroom will be taken from them. Then we will fast. You see, Jesus is portrayed as the bridegroom, and his followers, his people, are portrayed throughout Scripture as his bride. To us, this may seem like a strange way to explain to some people about the kingdom of heaven. Like, I haven't seen any tracks recently when I go online to find good material that when I go to witness to someone, I say, hey, this is what it's like. It's like ten virgins. It's interesting. But the reason he used the story of the ten virgins is because, remember, when he was telling parables, he knew his audience. He knew his audience. And he knew what they could relate to, and he used stories that they could relate to so that he could get across the spiritual lesson. You see, a typical Jewish wedding in an an ancient Israelite village had two components to it. The first component was what's called the betrothal stage, And the second part of the wedding was the actual wedding ceremony. And the betrothal stage, I'm glad we don't use that word much anymore. It's kind of a a bizarre word. It's outdated. We don't talk about it anymore. But what it was is when two people promised to marry one another. And they, when they entered this engagement, they entered into this season called a season of betrothal. And it was initiated by the groom's parents. That's why I'm okay with arranged marriages. So uh, if, uh, I'm okay with that, right? I'm watching and seeing, and I'm pointing my sons to, here's what you need to look for. Here's what you need to be aware of. And this process was initiated by the groom's parents. They went out and sought a suitable woman for their son to be engaged to. Once they had found a suitable woman, they would then meet with her parents. So if you see me showing up at your house one day, now you know, right? And so they would meet with her parents in her home to negotiate a bride price. This was a compensation gift from the family of the bridegroom to the family of the bride, and this gift would seal the covenant and binding between the two families. This was a formal agreement before witnesses, and it entered this couple into the official state of betrothal. As I was studying that this week, John 3.16 kind of came to my mind. Similar yet different. God acted in a similar way towards us. He came out and he sought us out. And in order to establish a relationship with us, he gave a gift. The person of his son, Jesus Christ. Different than the Jewish culture, the bridegroom in this case, Jesus Christ, paid the price. He paid the full price and established a new covenant by which we could be joined in relationship to Almighty God. In Hebrews chapter 9, verse 15, it says, Christ is the mediator of a new covenant. 
that those who are called may receive the promised eternal inheritance. Now that he has died, he has paid the ransom to set them free from the sins committed under the first covenant. So you had this first season of the season of betrothal. And this is in the parable. These people would have understood it when he said the bridesmaids were waiting for the bride to arrive. Because about a year later, after that time, became, was the time for the official wedding ceremony. Dressed in special wedding garments, the bridegroom and his companions, or his groom, groomsmen, went in procession to the bride's house. They were waiting. They knew he was coming, and they were waiting. And when he got to the bride's house, he would then escort his bride and her bridesmaids in a procession back through the streets to his parents' house where a wedding supper was prepared. A wedding supper was prepared. And the festivities of this uniting of these two families would be completed. You see, traditionally, these wedding suppers would occur at night. That is why the scripture says in the parable, it talks about the virgins were carrying their lamps. And these lamps were domed-shaped clay pot, pottery containers that were filled with rags. And those rags were soaked in oil. And then a tip of one of the rags would have been pulled up and just hung over the lip of these containers and to act like a wick. And when you light that because of the oil and the saturation into the rag, you would then have light. And these lights would be able to give people the opportunity to see where they were walking at night. Now the thing to remember is that container... In order for that light to continue, it had to be replenished about every 15 minutes. So you didn't have a long time. You had to be prepared, and you needed to have stuff ready so that you could keep that light nice and bright. And so this is what these bridesmaids in the parable Jesus is talking about, that they totally would have understand from their culture. Interesting, though, in verse 2, Christ makes a very clear distinction between the virgins. Five, he says, were foolish five were wise. The foolish took their lamps. They were part of the, the bridal party, but they did not have any extra oil with them to replenish the container so that their light would continue. They presumed they had had enough to, to keep their lamp lit until the bridegroom arrived. They never made any allowance for unexpected delays. And unfortunately, as we read in verse 5, in this case, we see that the bridegroom seems to have been considerably delayed. So much so that all the bridesmaids became drowsy and fell asleep. Now, I can tell you in my short 44 years of life, I've been to quite a few weddings, and some of the brides have been late. But never late enough that the whole church is sleeping when the bride comes through the door. The pianist is playing and everybody is asleep. I mean, that's incredible. What a picture. Here, these people who are waiting, these bridesmaids, for this climactic time when the bride is going to come, and yet he's delayed, and they all become drowsy, and they fall asleep. The wise virgins, on the other hand, took oil in jars along with their lamps. They were prepared. They knew the bridegroom would come. They knew the bridegroom would come, but they didn't know when. So they wanted to make sure they were prepared and ready so that when he showed up, they would be able to have their lamps lit and be part of the procession. And what happened? Sure enough, he showed up at an unexpected hour at midnight. 
And the cry rang out, here's the bridegroom, come out to meet him. Now, I don't blame these bridesmaids for falling asleep. As I get older, I'm realizing I fall asleep earlier in the evening too. And uh, the reason I know that is because the other day I was awoken by laughter in my living room. And my family saw me on the seat and I was started to do what I saw my grandfather used to do. And it was a very sad day. And as I was sitting there watching sports, like I wasn't even watching something boring, my head went back. My lower jaw dropped. And you heard the awful old man <laughs> like that. And I woke up to exactly what you're doing. And I heard laughter and I said, what's going on? And there they were recording me <laughs> falling asleep. I love my family. They're lucky I have small hands. So, he showed up at an unexpected hour at midnight and the cry rang out. And you know what's interesting? You look at the response. All the virgins woke up and got busy. All the virgins woke up and they started to trim their lamps. What they would have done is cut away the burnt part of the rag that was no longer providing light. So they would trim that away so that the light of their lamp would be at its brightest for this procession. This is the moment they have been waiting for and been preparing for. The bride has now arrived and they're going to be part of the procession. And it is at this critical moment that the foolish ones realized we got a problem. We got a problem. They had almost used up all the oil in their container. They had not prepared themselves by bringing extra oil along. And because they were not prepared and they were not ready, their lamps, the scripture says, were going out. And in a panic, they asked the wise virgins for some of their oil. But the wise virgins refused to give them any for fear of not having enough for both themselves and those who had not been ready. Instead, they told him, go and buy some for yourselves. I thought about that and I thought, wow, they really had like 7-Elevens and Walmarts open or shoppers at that. Like it's midnight in ancient Middle East. And these wise virgins are saying, go buy some for yourself. Interesting enough, as I did some research, that wasn't unrealistic. These businessmen have been since the start of time. And in those days... Traders would have remained available precisely for last-minute provisions like this on a night of a wedding. Interesting. That's why Jesus was able to tell them in the parable. This is just like you've seen happen. The wise ones said, go get some from one of the traders. And then in verse 9, this is where the story gets discouraging. Going into verse 10, they say, go and get some. And it says that they went off to get some oil, but while they were on their way to buy the oil, the bridegroom arrived. The moment had come that they had been waiting for, and they were not there to experience it because they were off doing something they should have done prior to him arriving. They were off distracted, all of a sudden scrambling to get what they needed for this an all-important appointment to see the bridegroom face-to-face and because they had not used their time wisely, they missed out. The Bible says the virgins who were ready went in with him to the wedding banquet. And the door was shut. The door was shut. In verse 11 it says they later came back. Maybe after they had got some oil. 
Lord, Lord, they said, open the door for us. But he replied, truly I tell you, I don't know you. The parable of the ten virgins to drive home the point to his disciples. Keep watch. Be ready. I want to close with just sharing quickly three spiritual lessons from this parable. First of all, Christ is the bridegroom. And he is going to return. Why do I believe that? Because I believe what the Bible says is true. God cannot lie. God cannot lie. Numbers chapter 23 verse 19 says, God is not human that he should lie, nor a human being that he should change his mind. Does he speak and then not act? Does he promise and not fulfill? Of course not. God cannot lie. Therefore, Jesus is God. Therefore, what Jesus says is true, and what he says will happen will come to pass. It will be fulfilled. And in John 14, verse 3, related to this day when he is going to return that he is having dialogue with his disciples about, it says, and if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me, that you also may be where I am. You see, during the betrothal, during the betrothal stage, the bridegroom went to the bride's house, and then he went back, and then there was a year. But she knew he would come back to take her to be with him. Christ is the bridegroom. And if you were in here this morning, he is letting you know he will return. That is a guarantee. And secondly, his return will be sudden and will be unexpected. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 52, describing this day when he will return, it says, In a flash, in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we will be changed. Just like in the parable when the cry rang out, Here's the bridegroom. Come and meet him. In 1 Thessalonians 4.16, it says, For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command. With the voice of the archangel and with the trumpet call of God, it will be sudden and it will be unexpected. We've read the verses this morning. But about that day or hour, no one knows. Not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. Therefore, keep watch because you do not know the day or the hour. So you must be ready because the Son of Man will come in an hour when you do not expect him. He will return. His return will be sudden and it will be unexpected. Donald Hagner says, uncertainty concerning the time is in a sense a non-issue. And I agree with him. The fact of the future return of the Son of Man is what really counts. And that's what we believe here at Calvary Baptist Church. Yes, don't get me wrong, there's many wise people, much better scholars than I am, who have studied and researched scripture and have been able to say, well, I think it might happen like this, I think it might happen like that. But in this text, nobody knows. Nobody knows. But what we do know is that he will return. And in our statement of faith here at Calvary Baptist Church, that is what we have chosen to focus on. It says that we believe in the actual, visible, physical return of Jesus Christ. That is what we know. So in the meantime, while we wait, while we wait for the bridegroom, Christ, to come back and to get us his bride, in the meantime, we have only two choices of how to live. First, to live wisely, to keep watch, and to be ready. And as I go through this section and I say these words, audit your own life, 
are these words that would describe how you are living in your relationship with Jesus Christ. Are you alert? Are you vigilant? Are you on guard? 1 Thessalonians 5 verse 4 says, But you brothers and sisters are not in darkness, so that this day, this day he's talking to his disciples about, should surprise you like a thief. You are all children of light and children of the day. We do not belong to the night or to the darkness. So then, let us not be like others who are asleep. Rather, let us be awake and sober, in our right mind, thinking correctly, alert, vigilant, and on guard. We need to live sensitive to our new address in Christ. As I tried to think this week about and describe my own reality and my own life in my walk with Jesus Christ, this is the only way I could explain it in my own words. Living sensitive to our new address of, in Christ means that I daily underline all my daily thoughts and activities and plans is this consistent awareness of who I belong to and what I should be living for. It has got more sensitive as I have gotten older. When I was young, when you were young, we thought we were invincible. We thought we had tons of time. Later, I'll become alert, I'll be on guard, I'll be awake, and I'll be sober. But as I get older, I just challenge you young people and every age here this morning, your life is not your own. My life is not my own. It belongs to Christ. I have been bought with a very costly price, the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. So as I've got older, even though I'm taking kids to school and I'm watching baseball games and I'm helping out at home, I'm constantly living in this weird awareness that I'm here, but there's something much bigger happening also in my life. And it's an awareness and a sensitivity to understand that my life belongs to him and at any time he could return to take me, to be with him, to meet him. First John 2, chapter 1 John chapter 2, verse 28 says, And now, dear children, continue in him. How do I live wisely? Continue in him. Be aware of his presence in your life. Just like John chapter 15, he says, I am the vine, you are the branches. Remain in me. Why? So that when he appears, we may be confident and unashamed. Those who live wisely, those who are alert, vigilant, on guard, awake, sober, sensitive to Christ living in them, when Christ appears, they will be like the wise virgins who are confident and unashamed before him, ready to be led by him in procession to the great wedding banquet described for us in Revelations chapter 19. Then I heard what sounded like a great multitude, like the roar of rushing waters, like the loud peals of thunder shouting, Hallelujah, for our Lord God Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and be glad and give him glory. For the wedding of the Lamb, Jesus is the Lamb. For the wedding of the Lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready. Fine linen, bright and clean, was given to her to wear. Then the angel said to me, write this. Blessed are those who are invited to the wedding supper of the Lamb. Why are they blessed? Because they are known by Jesus and are welcomed by him. Brothers and sisters, as we live wisely in this in-between time, in the meantime, I like this quote. Balanced discipleship entails both immediate and long-term readiness. I remember 21 years ago this past Friday, I married my beautiful wife, Jennifer. And I can tell you 
that I didn't show up to Wortley Baptist Church that day not knowing what was going on. I didn't show up in my cleats. I didn't show up in my flip-flops, wearing shorts. I didn't show up with my hair all untidy. I didn't show up with my teeth not brushed. I had been focused for a long time since God introduced me to her and focused on what a day that's going to be when we are going to get married. And before God, we're going to form a covenant. And we're going to be together. I was prepared. I was ready. And by God's grace and only His grace, you know, of course, we want to obey Christ and we're going to remain together. We made that covenant till death do us part. But I was so prepared and so excited to be married to someone that I have no guarantee, only God knows, when either He will return or death will cause us to be separated. But yet I had so much focus and attention because I was prepared. Now think about our reunion with Christ and that amazing wedding that we're coming to that is going to last for eternity, forever. By God's grace, some couples in our church have recently celebrated 50 years of marriage. That's awesome. This is eternity. How focused we were for a wedding that we don't know how long is going to last. Folks, should we not be oh so focused on a marriage that we know is going to last for eternity? His love and commitment towards us should fuel our love for him and our commitment to be ready, appropriately prepared to meet him face to face like I was that day when the doors opened up and Jen walked down the aisle. In the meantime, you can live wisely. There's only one other alternative. You can live foolishly, unprepared, risk being ashamed, shut out because you, Christ does not know you. Interesting, those guests that showed up late in a traditional Jewish wedding after the door had been shut, they could knock on the door, and as I studied, they were actually allowed in. But there was much public shame because everyone at the banquet had known they were not prepared, and they were not here at that critical moment when the bridegroom arrived. Remember, though, Jesus is teaching a spiritual lesson here through this parable. And different than that culture and that tradition, when he returns, it'll be too late to repent. The door will be shut. Just like the oil was not able to be transferred from one virgin to another, so salvation cannot be transferred from one person to another. That is why we dedicate babies here. As much as every parent's heart is that their kids will come to know Jesus Christ and to experience his grace and mercy in their lives that we have experienced as parents, they have to respond to his invitation to deny themselves, pick up their cross, and follow him. The bridegroom must know you and have a genuine relationship with you. Truly I tell you, I don't know you. You'll find those same words related to the judgment later on in Matthew chapter 7, verse 21 and 23. Again, Jesus says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and in your name perform many miracles? Weren't we part of your bride? Weren't we engaged in their activities? Weren't we associated with them? The foolish bridesmaids were part of that wedding party. They looked like bridesmaids. They had lamps. Biggest difference, though, is they were not prepared. They were not ready. And Jesus says to them, 
I tell you plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. Each of us here this morning is personally responsible and will be held accountable for our response to the gift of his son, Jesus Christ. Here's the good news. The door is not shut yet. There is a day coming where the door is going to be shut. But right now, the door has not been shut because our bridegroom has not returned. Maybe you realize this morning that you are not ready for his return. You're not ready to meet Jesus Christ face to face. Christ does not know you personally. Then understand this, that he has given you this morning as a gift. He's given you this morning the ability to be here. He's filled your lungs with breath. He's allowed your body to move. He's given you access to his house this morning to hear his word and to once again hear his invitation, I long for you to know me and I can make you ready to meet me. Maybe you're here this morning and you realize, I'm not ready to meet him. Christ, the bridegroom who is returning, doesn't know me. 2 Corinthians chapter 6, 2 says, now is the time of God's favor. Now. We don't know if tonight's concert is even going to happen. We don't know the hour or the time. What we do know is right now, we're here together and God's word is being shared with you. And God has given you favor this morning to once again hear his invitation to be part of his family and to be part of that great wedding supper. Now is the day of salvation. 2 Peter 3.9 says, The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you. He is patient in returning because he loves you. Not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. If Christ does not know you, his invitation to you this morning is come and know me and be ready to meet me. Maybe you're here this morning and by God's grace in your life, you know you are ready. You know Christ personally and he knows you. My challenge to you is though, are you living wisely? Am I living wisely? Or have we become complacent in our walk as followers of Jesus Christ? We used to be alert. Oh, we used to be on guard. Oh, I was so much more sensitive to Christ in me and how that affects how I live. But right now, maybe you feel like you are scrambling rather than following. If those foolish virgins had been prepared, rather than running off to have to go and purchase oil, they could have been in the procession following the bride and the bridegroom. How is your life? Are you scrambling or are you following? Perhaps there's stuff going on in your life, ungodly activity, choices that you're making that you know the bridegroom is not pleased with. And in light of Christ's words this morning, you would be ashamed if he were to return at any moment and find you off doing something when you should have been alert, watching, and waiting. His invitation to you this morning is come. Confess your sin. He is faithful and just, and he will forgive you. Be forgiven. Leave today feeling confident and unashamed before him. And understand this, the only way we are able to be confident before him when he returns is because of what he has done for us. 
It's nothing that we could do. It's nothing we can work for. It's nothing that we can earn. It is a gift that God has given us, the gift of faith. I am confident when he returns, not in who I am, but because God gave me the gift of faith to believe in his son, Jesus Christ, who claimed to be the way, the truth, and the life. And no one has access to the Father but through him. That is why I personally am confident for his return. The other half, though, says, and unashamed. Audit your life. Are you in every area of your life, whether you're eating, drinking, or whatever you do, doing everything to the glory of God? Or is there stuff this morning that you go, man, God, this climactic moment is coming. I don't know when it's coming. What in the world am I doing dabbling in this? When at any moment you can return. Brothers and sisters, my prayer for you this morning is that you will be known by Christ and welcomed by him. And if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, that on that day you will be confident and unashamed. If you're not feeling ready this morning, if you're not feeling confident this morning, the worship team is going to come up and we are going to sing a, a song in closing that says, He is able. He is able still to save. Why is he able still to save? Because he has not returned. The door has not been shut. The invitation is still open. The invitation is still open to anyone in this room who will call on the name of the Lord to be saved, and you will be saved. To be known by Christ. And if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, his call to you this morning is he is able to still forgive you. He's able still to forgive you of the things that you do. Even though you're ready, you don't have to be unashamed before him at his return. I love the chorus of that song that Mark taught us this morning. Like a bride waiting for her groom, we will be a church ready for you. As we sing the song, I'm going to invite you to respond to the Holy Spirit. If you do not know him, and this morning you say, I would like to be known by Christ. While we're singing, I just want you to come forward. I'm going to meet you down here. And we are going to introduce you to Jesus Christ. If you're a believer of Jesus Christ, and you know that you're not living wisely, you're dabbling in stuff, going, trying to get oil, when you should be focusing on his return and being productive, as we heard last week from Pastor Nick. And this morning, you're like, I don't want to leave this place with this guilt anymore. I want to leave free knowing that should he return, I can be confident and unashamed. So as we sing, you come. Young people, old people, I don't care. From every culture, come while you have the opportunity to know him and to be forgiven by him. As I was preparing this week, the words of this song came to my mind. By the way, my dad did arrive two days later. I forgot to tell the early service. He arrived two days later. His flight had been delayed out of Amsterdam and he missed his connection. What a day that will be when by Jesus I shall see and I look upon his face. The one who saved me by his grace when he takes me by the hand and he leads me through the promised land. What a day glorious day that will be. I would ask if, if one sister who knows the Lord, who loves the Lord, is walking close to the Lord, could come and stand here with this young woman. That would be wonderful while we close in prayer. So please, someone, thank you. Let's close in prayer. 
Father, I thank you for your grace. I thank you for your mercy. Thank you that the door is not shut. But today you have shown favor for which we do not deserve. Oh God, I pray that you'd help us as a church, your bride, to be ready for you. Ready in our own personal individual lives, ready in our homes, ready in our workplaces, ready as a representative of your body throughout the world here at Calvary Baptist Church. I pray for these three individuals, God. Thank you for extending your grace and mercy to them today. You know their heart, you know their need, but what we celebrate today is they have taken a step of faith to say, I want to be known by Christ, and I want to be ready, confident, and unashamed when I meet him face to face. So we give you all the glory, we give you all the praise. Help us to leave today living wisely, prepared to meet you, our wonderful, amazing bridegroom. In Christ's name we pray, amen.